The second reading this morning comes from the letter to the Galatians uh, by Paul. And it's the earliest document we have in the New Testament. By most accounts, this was the first uh, letter written. And the letters of Paul uh, uh, were all written well before the Gospels were written. So even though we don't have them in this order... If we were to have them in order of chronology, where when they were first written, then Galatians would be the first book we would come to. And before um, I read this passage, which is quite well known to those of us who read the Bible or have been to church for a lot of time in our lives, um, there's a few words that probably need unpacking before the, the reading makes a lot of sense. And there are three words in here that are played a lot all the way through Galatians, but particularly in this passage in Galatians 5. And they're law, flesh and spirit. And when we read the word law, we have to remember that what is being written about here is not the laws that we have, the things that you're not allowed to do, although it involves that. It's actually law, L-O-R-E, is a better way of understanding it. It's, the, it's an understanding of all of culture. So it's the culture of Judaism that is being talked about when Paul uses the law. It's just a shorthand term for all of what it means to be Jewish. The writings of the of what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, all are part of that. And then flesh is it's a it's a misinterpretation of what Paul is saying to understand that as something to do with the body. And all through um, subsequent history, we've somehow been able to divide people up into um, uh, into the, the the heart of who a person is, the spirit, the soul the kind of essence, and then the body, which is something that the real person inhabits, which is not the way Jewish people thought about the world at all, and it's not the way Paul thought about it. And so when he, using the word flesh, what would be a better translation for us today would be the word ego, or the false self that we build in order to deal with the world. So the false self is is the flesh. And then the third thing is spirit. And what Paul is talking about here is the idea of the true essence, the true nature of what it means to be human, imbued with the true nature of what it means to be God. It's a kind of a fusion of those things. That's how Paul understands this word. So the words law, all of culture, flesh, the false ego self, and spirit. Hopefully that will make give us some sense into what's going on here. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit yourselves again to the yoke of slavery. Live by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposite to each other, and they prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, impurity... Uh, uh, Sorry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and all these things like that. I'm warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom. 
by contrast. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There's no law against such as these. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. All through Galatians, and you can read it in all the other letters that we know Paul has written, is a strong sense that the experience of knowing Christ, the experience of knowing God, is an experience of freedom. It's all about being free. And we we get that. In 1948, coming out of the rubble of the Second World War, the peoples of the world joined together as the United Nations and wrote the UN Declaration, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And the very first clause says this, All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. But, and Paul makes sense of this really clearly, being free is problematic. We experience it in tiny ways, that this problematic nature of freedom, because of all sorts of things. If you have a day, this may not happen to you, but it happens to me all the time, if I have a day where I don't have anything that absolutely has to be done that day, there's nothing that can't you know, be put off till another day, there's nothing that urgent, I kind of panic. Because there's all these things I could do, there's all these things I should do, there's all these jobs I've been putting off that really need somebody to get around to them. And there's no reason I couldn't do any of those things, but I suddenly have a panic because I don't know what to do. I'm totally free, I can do whatever I like. It's much easier when I get up in the morning and as the first minister I ever worked with when I was a youth worker back in the 70s said, every morning I get up and I read my Bible to see what I should do and then I read my diary to see what I will do. It's much easier when you've got a list of things that have to be done. Or you get it sometimes when you see a child and you say to the child in the ice cream shop, there's 50 flavours, you can have any one you like. It's a sudden panic because the child knows that he or she can only get one or possibly two flavours on a, on a cone and there's all these flavours to try and it takes forever to make a decision because there's total freedom. <coughs> or as I often find when I'm in deep conversation with somebody in a, in a sort of a counselling situation, is people will tell me that they're trapped in something in a relationship that's not working, in a job where they feel demeaned, in any kind of thing like that. And one of the questions that you can often ask in that situation is, are you? I mean, you could decide something different. You could decide to end this relationship, whatever kind of relationship it is. You've got to understand what the cost might be But you could do that because you are free to do it. But often we prefer to tell ourselves, well, I'm stuck with this. This is all that's possible for me. 
But we've told ourselves stories all through history about people who escape. Whether it's Don Quixote getting on his old nag and taking off into a different world, most, mostly in his imagination, or whether it's the little boy who wakes up one morning and runs away to join the circus. You can make different choices. Now, whether they're good ones or not is a separate issue. Whether you should end this relationship or should look to reconcile with each other, that's a different issue. But you could. You are free. But we have problems with freedom. We know that that's, it's available to us. And it's available to everyone. In fact, Paul says the whole law, the whole of culture, the whole of what it means to be a human being can be wrapped up in this single commandment. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. This is what we know brings freedom. This is what Paul tells us brings freedom. And this is what we said in the Declaration, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. All people are being are born free and should treat each other with brotherhood and humanity, as I guess we would use now. These, we don't, wouldn't use the word brotherhood in the same way. But Paul says we get locked into actions that seem like freedom but end up being like drugs that mask the pain of not being able to live in freedom. And he lists them all. And the, the list he uses is very similar to the list in lots of Roman and Greek uh, instructions for morality or manuals for how to live a good life. And so it's a similar kind of list. So this would have been part of the conversation in Paul's world. Things like fornication, impurity, licentiousness, and so on and so on. Let me read you this in a, a more modern English translation. These things like licentiousness, which is not a word we use very much, or dissensions and factioning and so on. So this is in, from the message. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All consuming yet never satisfying wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit, habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. And I could go on. Wow. We could recognize ourselves in some of those and we could recognize the isolating nature of those kinds of activities. They seem much more about trying to drug ourselves into feeling like we're living the freedom that we somehow know essentially in ourselves is available, but we can't live it. There's a kind of self-centeredness and a breaking down of the community, the, the common humanity, the creatureliness of us all. The desire to be free is somehow essentially within us. We sense it when we're being unjustly treated. But when we're being um, punished 
arbitrarily. It's just wrong. We know it. And in fact, we know that when we let something go, when we forgive a person who's wronged us, or when we let something go that it, where we've been harshly treated, we may be forgiving that other person and that may be of great value to them, but somehow we're freeing ourselves more than anything. Those people who ripped me off back then, that's still in my mind. I'm locked into it. But if I can find a way of letting it go, whether it's somebody who stole money from me, whether it's somebody who, and this has happened to me on numerous occasions where I've trusted someone, given them money uh, because they've said they needed it and they would pay it back and they haven't, I can lock into that. Or I can let it go and be free. We know that sense of where freedom comes from. And if we can let it go... This is what Paul says, for what the flesh, what the ego desires is opposed to what the true nature, what the spirit, what the trueness of, of, of ourselves is, is opposed to that. And what the spirit, the true nature desires is opposed to the flesh or the ego. For these are opposed to each other and this locked inness prevents us from doing the goodness that we want to do. The necessary, the, the essence of who we are as human beings that deep down inside we really want to live out, somehow we prevent ourselves. But Paul points to a whole other reality here. He calls the first list that he gives us, the one that were in lots of Greek and Roman manuals for morality, works of the flesh or works of the ego. They're works of the ego or the false self. And then the second list, he doesn't call the works of the Spirit, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the true nature. There's something about work that you must do it. In order for it to be done, it needs to be done. You need to actually do something. But when you think about fruit, it doesn't work quite the same way. Fruit just appears. If a tree is doing its job as a tree, if it's just living out its true nature as a tree, fruit will just appear. Sure, somebody watered it and, and you know, dug around it and, and so on. But the nature of a tree is to produce fruit and it just does it. You don't even have to be thinking about fruit and fruit will just arrive. And if you've never had the opportunity of picking a piece of fruit off a tree and eating it, it is still, it's still a miracle that there are things out there growing in the world and you can go and get them and they taste good and they're good for you. Just by picking it off a tree. Now that's the voice of somebody who grew up in the city and got most of his food from a supermarket. I'm still amazed when I can do that. So whereas each of the works of the ego seem to be sort of individual and, um, and isolating. You think of all those things that, that I read out, that terrible list, particularly in the message version. They're kind of trying to control the world and keep it for, you, for yourself. Whereas the fruit is, they all seem to be about the same thing. Goodness, kindness, love, joy, peace. They're kind of like facets of a diamond, if you like. They're, they're, not, they're not that indistinct. They're, that if you're one of those, you're somehow all of those. If you're living in true joy, then you're experiencing peace. And if you're kind to someone, it's 
part of being good. It, it, they're all wrapped up in one thing. It's as if he's trying to explain something so wonderful that he needs a bunch of words to say it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But how does the fruit grow? Well, according to Paul, it grows while you're doing something else. It just happens by itself. It's fruit. How does it do it? It's because you're doing what verse 14 says. Loving your neighbour as yourself. Loving, if you like, all of the creation of God as yourself. And to love your neighbour as yourself is simply to love your neighbour as if your neighbour were you. And because they are you. We are all one community. We know that. And that when we diminish one person, we somehow diminish us all. I mean, the most obvious example of this is in uh, parts of the United States, and and it's happening here in in Australia too, where wealthy people live behind gated communities in order to keep the poor people out because they're frightened that the poor people will come in and take what they've got. So rather than there being equal distribution for everyone to live well, the rich, in some places have to live in these gated communities, they feel. It's an obvious example of unfreedom. But if we recognise we are each other, then it changes everything. Back in the early 90s, when the Bosnian War first happened, you may remember that the television was showing lots of footage of people streaming out of the towns and villages, trying to get across the border out of, uh, into safety. And for the first time, I saw refugees who looked exactly like me. There were young men like me wearing the same clothes I wear, talking in a different accent but using the same language I use. I was used to watching refugees and they were always black people. So that's different to me, of course. And they're always wearing tribal clothes, so that's different to me, of course. But here were young men and young women looked exactly like me. And and I realised for the first time that I had been separating people out because, well, that's just what happens in Africa. Everyone's starving there. It's always a mess. You You can't trust any of the politicians. It's just what happens. But here were people who looked just like me. And I can still remember the experience of, hang on, this could be just me. These look like the same kind of streets I walk down. They've got telegraph poles. They've got street lights. They've got shops on them. They look just like the kind of towns I live in. And the people are wearing just the kind of clothes I'm wearing. And I suddenly, I can still remember that experience of of suddenly identifying. Because not only do they look like me, but of course they are me. So if my neighbour is me, how does this translate into where we are at the moment? Here are the two big issues about freedom at the present time that we're having to deal with. One is in Victoria, we now have legislation that allows people to choose the time of their own death if they're terminally ill and in the terminal terminal phase of that terminal illness. 68 different um, caveats on how you're able to access that service, but you're now able to be free to make that choice. Not all of us are happy with that. In fact, many of the people who voted for the legislation in the Victorian lower house are not particularly happy but they couldn't see another way forward because otherwise are are we trapping people into intolerable suffering 
And the other one, of course, is the suddenly blown up issue of Israel Folau, the, the uh, rugby league, rugby, one of those rugby's, I can never tell them apart, player, and losing his contract because of posts he put on social media. Is he, now obviously it's, there's a problem with the contract. He's clearly breached his contract and therefore it's been revoked and that all makes perfect sense. And from all the commentators that I've been able to read, he has no, there's no case to be answered about his contract. But there's a bigger question. Should you have a contract that stops people from saying what is deep in their, in their heart and their mind? Should you be allowed to do that? Because many of us have signed contracts like that over the years in various jobs we've been in, and that's expanded, particularly if you're a person in, um, in the public eye and with the huge megaphone that social media now provides for all of us who've got access to the phone and the internet. And who are we talking to when we say people should be free to say whatever they want? Now, clearly, you're not free to say whatever you want. You can't shout fire in a crowded cinema when there's no fire. You can be prosecuted for that, for endangering the public. And people sometimes are, not necessarily for that specific thing, but for things of that sort that are totally untrue. I don't know. We better keep talking about this. And anyone who tells you there's an easy answer to either of these two issues, and there are only two of the main things that just happen to be bubbling up in the, uh, in the news at the moment. If anyone tells you there's a simple answer, they're either foolish or they're lying. Because there aren't simple answers. These are not e- e- easy issues for us to deal with. But we are required to. Because they're big in the... And, and particularly for those of us who call ourselves Christian... The Israel, Israel Falawa issue, it does pr- present us with a real dilemma. Uh, should he be allowed to say whatever he believes God is telling him to say? And, and quoting the Bible, which is essentially, with a few caveats, what he's done. Is that okay? Well, I think one of the answers might come out of this story. And it's not an answer about law, whether he's allowed to or not allowed to. Um, we should be very careful of restrictions on laws. And our media companies are in front of the federal court at the moment asking the federal government to change the law to protect journalists. And it would be difficult for us to disagree with that because we need a free press. So these things are difficult in law, but from the point of view of a person of faith, which Israel Folau says he is, and we, we, we accept that he is, How would we live that out based on what we've just been reading in Galatians? Because Paul says at the end, here's the gifts of the, sorry, the fruit of the Spirit on the wall here, and there's no law against such things. And I think what he's saying there is, if you live like this, full of kindness, joy, peace, love, self-control, faithfulness, then your approach to how you live your life in public, whether you're famous or not, how you live your life on social media, for those of us who are engaged with it, and it's a tricky thing to be engaged with, how do we live freely 
if we take charge, if we take account of love, joy, peace, patience and kindness? Well, I think in the end we probably don't post on social media statements about who and who isn't going to hell. Because in the end, that's just a megaphone out into the world. It's not personal relationships. It's not connecting with people. It's not imagining that everyone is me. We're all one community. Now, you might still believe, as you could read the scriptures as saying, this is before we even get to discussion about what hell is, you might still believe that it's, that's true, that people who do or act a certain way or live a certain lifestyle might be going to hell. That may be true. But it's how you live that out with the people you're with. How you live an honest and decent life, a good life, a life of gentleness, a life of decency and kindness. Maybe that would change the debate about whether we need more laws allowing for religious freedom. Because no one's going to make a law against you living kindly, patiently, gently, in joy and in love. No one. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control.